there are certain echelons in Wayland High School. If right. you're in a lower echelon, like Metco, you will not get fair treatment. If you're in a Absolutely. lower echelon, like I'm a queer you. kid, you will not get fair treatment. Welcome to Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks. I'm Gloria Harrison, a TV producer living in New York. And I'm Carrie Clifford, an actor and writer living in Los Angeles. We first met in elementary school outside Boston. When I was part of a program that bused kids from the inner city to school in the suburbs. We're going to talk about privilege and disadvantage. And about what it's like to move from one world to another without really feeling at home in either. In this podcast, we're having conversations about race. And the awkwardness that comes with learning about people from another culture. Today, we're going down memory lane with our former classmate and childhood friend, Christian Mady. I'm so excited because this means my prom date is here. Oh, my God. How'd you pull that off? How'd you get your prom date? (laughs) Guys, I'm so grateful to be here because, you know, Carrie, um, I was waiting for you at the exit to the prom that I invited you to. Where'd you go? (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, Christian, I didn't even um, get your approval to post our prom pic. I know. Is that an issue? I was like, girl, you're going to get in trouble. I know. I I really should have. Yeah, I think it's an issue with with Instagram. They'll probably pull it down. It's something. Yeah, there's yeah, something yeah, wrong yeah. with that photo. <laughs> I want everyone listening. I want everyone within the sound of my voice to go to the Hard Candy Fruit Snacks Instagram and look at that photo, and then be grateful for who you are today. <laughs> you know what, though, Christian, I will say, like, you know, there's so many people from that we grew up with or whatever that if you saw now, I guess more girls. I feel like the women that you see now, you could still recognize from being from high school. Guys, not as much. And you're one of those. Like, you look so different now than that you did That body. Then. Come on, Christian. That I mean, body. I mean, what? I, it's, it's, I, work the, I do work the algorithms. Um, no, it's the, the – well, I, the only question I really have is, like, when do either one of you plan on actually, you know, aging? Because oh, you guys look, you're so you nice. Like no, seriously, <laughs> this is not flattery. Honestly, everyone listening, everyone who's listening to this podcast has to know these two women, they don't look, a, they, they look like they're 35. They don't look a day over 27. It's killing me. No, I, I come on. I literally have a non Shrek filter on this Zoom call because I, I mean, I'm like the crypt keeper. The rest of I made out of beef jerky. No, no, but Christian, I didn't even mean that. When, but when, like in high school, you know, you were we, we both knew you mainly because we did theater together. You were kind of yes. like yeah. Ducky from um, Pretty in Pink, you know, or like <laughs> so much hair. I had so, so much, much hair. hair. You always wore a long black trench coat. Yes. Yeah. But but what, what I'm saying is look at you now in terms of you want to like say to us, like shout out to you. Like, honestly, I look on Instagram. I'm like that body. Yo, everything about you. Like it's so different. It's incredible. Incredible to look at. It's funny. Like, you probably funny. in high school didn't care about working out because seriously, growing up, I don't think fitness was really like in your top 10 things you cared about. Was Not it? At all. It's, it still kind of isn't. And it's one of those things where Gloria, you're worried about segues. Here comes the segue. It's kind of like, it's like this, is that I grew up with a lot of, well, I don't know if you know about my hometown of Wayland, Massachusetts. A lot of kids come out of there with, yes, strange internalized trauma comes out of this town. And for me, there was a lot around gender and sexuality. So really, it really was about the psychological idea of what is being a male versus being, I never felt female. I never felt male. So really it was in the, in the 20s, I had this exploration of all that. And that's where the lifting and the, it, when I say it's about the aesthetics more than the fitness, 
I mean it because I'll I'll go I'll go get some caramel right now. I will get candy and I'll <laughs> yeah I, I like go, that. I will eat a bag of chips. It's funny. Uh, an ex I once went over there. I was working. I came came over to his house and, and we're we're talking. I go. I need something to eat. You got anything? He goes yeah. Over the fridge is a half a bag of chips. I go. What the hell is a half a bag of chips? <laughs> Who eats to a half? I go right to the bottom. Trust me, fitness is yes. like an an, ac- an accident of the process, but not. I mean, yeah, be fat, be merry, enjoy your body. But listen, I want to take your pictures and put them on hard candy and fruit snacks, and maybe that'll help our algorithm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we're gonna. That's that's the only reason we have you on is for your body. I was gonna say the the title of your podcast would then be the the type of people who would follow you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just called hard this week. (laughs) Exactly, and hard fruit, hard fruit. Okay. But okay, so Christian, we grew up in Wayland together. And like, as we talked about on the podcast, Gloria was in school in Wayland, but she grew up in Boston. And like, do you remember the MECO program? What do you remember being told about the MECO program? Well, it's like this. I mean, I, okay, so. And we went to different elementary schools. Yeah, this is not the story I wanted to tell. But when I was uh, in first grade, my first experience with the Medco program. Now this, this gets a little dark, but it's I good. didn't understand it at the time. It's like adult dark, not kid yeah. dark. So do you remember what weebles are? Those little wobbling things, yeah. weeble wobble. Remember yes. those things? Mm-hmm. They don't fall down. Well, yeah. And I had like four and like uh little, little play figures. And so one day a bunch of girls stole a couple of them. And you know how this all plays out. Now elementary school, you stole my this, you stole my that. Well, one of the girls, two of them, I think, were in the Mecca program. Now, this is like a pack. This is like, it's a mixed, right? But two of them are in the Mecca program. And I remember the teacher saying, no, it's okay. And I'm like, no, no, it's not okay. <laughs> but I always wondered, why did those little girls get a pass, like, for what all the girls did? Like, they all stole something, but because it was Mecca, there was a different treatment. And that was sort of my first register. If anything woke me up to the idea of something racial, it was that moment. I I remember it vividly, like, why are they different? Explain to me why they're different. And you can unpack why a teacher would make that maneuver. Yeah. I don't want it. It's a little dark. That's the dark part. Like, let me, Christian, let me me unpack that for a second to that teacher. Please do. <laughs> right, 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 right. Thank no. you, thank you, because that teacher did. Where's that. my weebles? Yes, but, but I, I know that you're weebles, and I'm kidding, but I'm serious. I'm like, I know. for the teachers that took the time and said pass is probably not a good idea, but to just give somebody the benefit, even if they were wrong, um, right? I like to hear that right. because there's so many stories where I know that that didn't happen. But I don't want to break sure. the flow. Keep on going. No, with, no, no. With, that's all I'm saying. That was where I first registered it. Beyond that, it was. I think my experience was pretty much like Carrie up until high school, where I would have intersections out of classes with other kids who are in the makeup program, but I was always a little bit of a loner. So I didn't have quite the same social blending that other people had. I was going through my own queer trauma of my own. So I would often be withdrawn. I remember in, in junior high, I would read during recess. I would hide in corners. And a lot of people were like, I don't remember you in junior high. I'm like, yeah, I had a lot of like weird neo self-shame Catholic crap coming at me hard and fast. And, um, but in high school, well, this is what's interesting. I believe it was junior year, maybe sophomore year, junior year. At Whalen High School, for people listening, it was a series of buildings. And I'm sure you've said this on your show before. And in the arts building where the theater was and all this, um, there was also, there was shop, 
there was special education, there was art, there was all these different, whatever the school couldn't put in the mainstream was that building, the little theater chorus. building it was called. Right. <laughs> right, chorus, right. Anything not mainstream, but detention, anything right. not mainstream. I know all of those buildings. It, right, right, <laughs> went up in there. And so I remember in the in the boys' room, uh, in one of the stalls, um, etched, like carved into the that ceramic tile stuff. So not drawn with a marker, but carved in was FN. I'll let you fill in the blanks on those words. So, but it right was there, the whole word, but the whole the word, the whole was... world, the whole N word, F mm. bomb N word. Wow. And it sat there for months and it would agitate the, the F word out of me. Yeah. And um, so I actually remember saying something to a teacher, to an English teacher, something like that. And they said, well, you should do something about it. And I'm like, well, what, what the hell can I do about it? You know, A, I'm kind of the, the freak of the school in a way, one of them. And B, I'm not really popular or anything of this note. It just bothered me. And I think that it was, um, I didn't know what else to do. So, you know, I used my mouth, which is what I always did. And I remember writing this article. This is coming around to you, Gloria. I remember writing an article. And in the article, in, I didn't just for call paper? out. For the, yeah, school? the school paper. Yeah. Okay. For the school paper, and this is where that that specific English teacher did me the favor by publishing it without editing, and this was where oh. the controversy began. And in this in this article, I didn't just call out that there's a problem in our school that that graffiti was there. It's a problem that it existed for months, yeah, right. may, maybe longer. And I, what I was saying is that the reason, and I, what I called out, was the strange hierarchy of the school, how there are coded into the town of Wayland, coded into the kids, certain people up here, certain people down there. And, and I, I remember saying how, why is it that certain types of people get a pass and certain types of people get shoved to the side, mm -hmm. token treatment. And this is all, I'll pull up the article now. And one of the things I did call out was, for example, um, kids who lived on the rich side of town or kids who play sports. And there's your buzzer. Because <laughs> that then made it back home. I remember how big sports were in Wayland. And right. every parent and every kid, now suddenly their child was traumatized. Now, remember the origin of this article that I wrote in the article. There is racist graffiti, violent racist graffiti in the boys' room, unchecked. That's the yeah. core. But meanwhile, it's the kids getting traumatized. Like the white kids are now traumatized for me saying we live. And I was calling out the structure. Like we live right. in a weird structure was the point. And... Well, this unraveled into a whole thing. Um, three days of me not sleeping, getting threatening phone calls, going to get beaten up. Oh. So much for trying to do something, right? And um, oh, it, was, it was traumatizing. And I don't know where I got the gumption to do it. But thir day three, I got furious. And I went over to the head of the uh, athletic department. I said, bring him in. He said, well, I said, look, we're going to do this. Instead of getting calls, instead of getting pushed around, shoved around, hit in the hallways, I want to have it out. Bring all wait, the I don't care what team. But were, did you say, were you saying that you thought it was an athlete? Like, I don't understand how the sports. No, I said, that. right. What I said was there are certain echelons in Wayland High School. If right. you're in a lower echelon, like Metco, you will not get fair treatment. If you're in a Absolutely. lower echelon, like I'm a queer you. kid you will not get fair treatment. And one of the higher echelons are kids like, you know, you win a football game. And I remember right. saying something like this, you're going to get carte blanche, you know, and, and I even think I said in the article, I don't know who wrote it, but I do know that kids of a certain echelon probably did. Cause look what happened. Right. You know, look where right. we're at. 
And it sounds um, like the Luke parents, like what you're saying, they went after that to protect. What do they always do? Their kids, right. the people that are in their have. system. Yes. And, and their Gloria, system. And their system. Absolutely. It really is about the system. It, it, I was going after the system. Precocious. So I said, bring the, all the jocks in. I don't care what you got. Football, you got wrestling, basketball, bring them in. Now I go into the little theater, me alone on stage, or the drama team, Ryan Gardner, he was having a bird. Conti <laughs> oh was there too. They're like, what is this crazy kid doing? And in they come, ask, I, I'll drop names later, but there's people from high school, I could tell you, they remember it vividly. And in they come in, um, and I will tell you this, every Metco athlete was there on the, from a boys team, every single one. Um, yeah. And with three teams. Now the theater's full. It's every single jock you can imagine. And this, like you said, ducky, wimpy, trench coat wearing weirdo on the stage. And I just said, look, I'm not apologizing for this article because there's a problem in the school, but there's a lot of anger toward me. So let's talk it out. Wow. Interesting. You could hear, hear a pin drop and my heart's racing. But within the course of about an hour, there was a lot of talk. Who and moderated like, it? Like, were you, were you? No moderated? one. I, I did it myself. And oh I my brought God, hats off Richard's to like, you. Richard's like, you can't bring teams in here. I'm like, too late. <laughs> here comes Moyers. You know what I mean? And uh, now, now this is where Gloria comes in, believe it or not. So obviously this gets right back over to the, the guidance counselors because they're, you know, Ginny Buckley's upset because she didn't do it. Right. But <laughs> so I like I, the, the kid organized it. And so um, I get called in and they said, you know, there's this thing. It's usually an elected position. It's called the GBSAC, Greater Boston Student Advisory Council. Yes. That's- <laughs> we think you might be the other good student for, they already had Gloria picked. So they had oh. me and Gloria. Check. And that's how this we ended how up me, together. Oh that's how my we ended gosh. up together. Because wow. I raised hell. But now, mind you, notice is- how that story of, of all these athletes, yes. notice how tight to the cuff Waylon played that. They yes. did not let that get out. What they did instead was, do you remember how they changed winter week into diversity week? Remember yes. that? Yes. Yep. Yes, because Gloria all- and we, well, you were probably on the committee too. We we talk about how we provo- um, planned this diversity day and like right. no one showed up from the school. People took right. the day off. Wait, but it Christian, was, uh, this is crazy. That I'm was the scene. That was the scene. That's what I'm saying, Gloria. This is the story. <laughs> oh my God. And, and then wait, wait, did you but oh, Christian, wait, what I'm, was the fallout? Like, what did they do with the graffiti? And did anyone not not that any I'm sure no one took responsibility, but did any of like funny. the Metco kids? The graffiti that, stood. Well, let me get though, because you got like, like a bunch of questions. The graffiti stood quick and dirty first. The graffiti stood for about two more days. That's why on the third day I was like, this is getting silly. I'm getting heat and the graffiti is still up. We got to have a conversation. Yes. Now I'm, getting be- I'm getting beaten up in the hallways here. Literally, I was getting thrown around. And and I want you to notice that that we lived in such a climate that a white kid who dares accuse another white kid of a violent comment toward anyone of another race is the is being shut down. Like, yes. notice how thick that code of like white protection goes in Wayland. It's just that and how it thick. goes in America and in life. Something about that moment told me that one of the biggest problems in Wayland is that it shouldn't have even been a centered white voice. The white voice still shouldn't have been centered. Yeah. So was, that's why I was like, can we just clear the air and get back to the goddamn graffiti? Yeah, that was my uh, only wait, goal. But Christian, I want to ask you this. 
I just remember you throughout the years. I could talk to you about anything. Like we, you were just to me. I was like, Christians, like Gloria, listen, and we would like do our little side talking. Yeah. You know what I mean about anything? Totally, totally. I don't know. I know that we talked about all these issues going into Boston, and we were so good and represented Whalen well. Did we ever talk about this? Did we no. ever talk? No, because it was a I job. I don't remember it either. Right? I don't remember yeah, it, it was- but I. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can give you names of who does because people remember every reunion. They're like, Christian, I don't believe you did that stupid thing. They, um, I mean, I could have had my ass handed to me. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. But the point was like, the reason I didn't talk about it, Gloria, is like, that's what I mean is that that's when I realized this really is something. It was a, it this sounds crazy. It's a white person problem. This is not a black person problem. Look at the white people and how they behave. Yeah. Look at how we behave. Like it was literally, that was clear to me that, that we're not getting it. And that's what sort of set me off. Well, and right. what's bad is, is like, you know, you know that Gloria and I did all this fundraising for yeah. scholarships and we were able to award two Metco students um, in Wayland $10,000 scholarships and then some runners up got um, scholarships right. too. Oh, I'm watching. I'm watching and, on the sidelines. And, 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 and so they all had to write essays and that was like part of um, how we chose the winners. And it was really uncomfortable because I was hoping that race relations had changed at Wayland, you know, and like literally someone wrote in their essay, a very similar story that Mm -hmm. there, I think it was like a year ago, it was like the 50th anniversary of Mecco and someone wrote the N word on a big like celebration banner, you know? And so it's like, it's the same thing. My blood pressure is going up. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel my blood pressure going up right now. But what I do think, what I do think is different is there's more support. And so, and for them to be able to talk about it and to write in yeah. the essay, I feel like there's more support. So I'm still optimistic, but yes, 50 years later, you would think that their essay would be more about inclusion, about how they've been accepted. And they said, no, there are times when I feel alone. I still feel like Gloria did a guest, you know what I mean? At Wayland yeah. Public Schools. Th- that's the problem that I think most people struggle with in towns like Wayland is that racism is coded with this personal morality as opposed to it's a system, folks. It's not, no one's making personal judgments. Yeah, we can throw some personal judgments because a lot of people deserve them. But that's when we bring it up, we're bringing it up in terms of this system that exists. I hate to say it, the white money holding class of Wayland or of other small suburbs in America hold that power. So when I hear a young person say that, I'm like, right, because there was never an evening out of that power. Come so on, granted, brother. you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Talk. I, look, I'm a white man. I'm a cis white man of privilege. I, I know my privilege and it's terrifying to me because I don't have to think and I can make the mistake. None of us were educated on the full range of our history. So I started going back and I started local, finding the most boring, dry histories of, of everything I could. And Wayland, I hate to break it to you, since about 1580 something was coded in racism. Our town was founded as the place you put the Indians you didn't want. Huh. The indigenous in the in the writing it says Indians, but the indig- that was basically so really Wayland has this idea of controlling another race baked into its founding, and we've been on this four hundred years. So even though times change, things change. It's a new era. It feels like that history, that lore of Wayland still persists, and that's what we have to break. Is how do we break that? How do we change that story? To include all the lore, not just the white version of the lore, which is what Mm. these kids are responding to. They're saying, yeah, I still feel it. Well, right, because it's still the white arbiters of the story of Wayland, not 
all the people of Wayland telling that story. So Christian, I want to know, can I post a picture of you and I, you know, when our yes. back oh, hell yeah. in, in yes. the yearbook. Like, my, in the yearbook. Yes, you have to. That is the <laughs> picture. Yeah. That is the, I remember we were like coming out of rehearsal or some shit. Yes. I remember that. Wait, what, what I was? I for that. What, what, what was that thing? I remember it was really cool because you got to go into well, Boston. We would go into the, we would go in. Basically, it was like the UN for the, the schools close into like Suffolk County schools and stuff and Middlesex County schools. But and so what we would do is you'd go in and we'd meet and they would say, talk about ecology, talk about, you know, uh, queer rights, talk about racism. And we'd talk, have these little meetings and they would listen. They'd take notes. We had no voting power. And then the second half of the day, everyone would just like ditch and go into Boston. But we represented <laughs> Wayland. And, you know, it was a cool, it was a cool experience. So I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah. yeah. From that, and that's where it comes back to me. From that, that council, Gloria, is where yes. the Safe Schools Initiative of Massachusetts for queer and trans kids emerged from, from that organization. Oh, wow. So that That's was awesome. the predecessor to what became legislature that I would then later work on, you know, when I was first coming out of college. And so it was like this weird, it's weird how everything is like connected. It's just connected. I love that, though. Small yeah. place. But you know what I also love too, and I didn't know how to communicate it right as a child, but I knew that you and I were standing for values that many people weren't. That when people were running right. off doing their, their smoking after yeah. class, they're hanging out like that we were going to do that. That meant a lot to me because I always knew, and even Carrie and I connected on that diversity day, trying to bring everybody together and all my Mecco kids saying, girl, I'm going to come there. Her white friends, my other white friends saying, we're going to come. And it was little to no people. It was like a no show. And then yeah. I'm like, you yeah. guys failed us. And they're like, yeah, we don't got time for that. So it's like, I felt like we were always this group right here trying to at least be more. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I was going at in terms of like in our own towns and our own homes. Look, what we love more than anything is when things are convenient, when things are easy. Like, I don't want to be bothered. This is like a normal thing for everyone to want that. And so I think that that it it becomes a weirdly like a value or a virtue to not be inconvenienced. So. For example, let's get right. Let's get topical. Let's do it. You know, rather than the United States mandate critical race education. Well, I have an idea. We'll do the token and we'll just make Juneteenth a holiday. Not that Juneteenth shouldn't be a holiday. Yes, it should be a holiday. But why? Where is that fight for the thing that would change as opposed to the convenient thing that everyone can applaud and then go back to their convenient Uh, life? Like here, like here in New York. Weird thing. Westchester right now, they are, they are all of these meetings, parents fighting. They do not want their children taught about systemic racism. And then this is exactly what you're talking about. I'm like, guys, you're part of the problem. They're like, I don't want my right. children. That to is be, systemic like racism. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't want them to be inconvenient. You don't want them to have any knowledge of what right. it's like to be different. And they were literally, it was on the news. Right. Like, this is disgusting. You don't even want to talk that about That is it. racism, guys. Yes. You are literally... <laughs> You're teaching your kids in the wrong direction, but you're teaching them racism right now. Yeah, yeah it's it's crazy, and that's yeah, and it's it, interesting. And it is like Go ahead. the the sorry, you know, we've talked about this that like, and I don't know, Christian, if you felt this way, but like, just in the educational system, I thought Martin Luther King fixed everything. You know, <laughs> I and keep telling what, her to stop. <laughs> but I did. Like that's how I feel. I understand. Like- you're talking about from the naive. Yeah, like it's a from kid a raised child. in a white sheltered I'm not town. Talking about me now in 2021. That's the lore. That, that now, Carrie. That's the Wayland <laughs> lore. L O R E. Now, lore is all the stories, histories, and ideas yeah. that yeah. get packaged and passed through culture. So right. the white dominant sheltered culture of Wayland passes this lore down. Yes, and 
as a child, you don't know that it's lore. You don't know that some, that lore just means curated history, curated stories. Yeah. So we need a, more lore. And that's the thing is that I get why you, you or anyone would do that. We, like I said, the convenience of just telling the story as I know it, I give tours of Boston and it's sometimes I just want to tell the generic story, but other times like, no, I have to tell the hard story because that's the story that matters. That, that the, yeah. the, the awkward, uncomfortable, the history, look, we're all, look, let's be real. Carrie, you and me, Gloria, you step aside for a minute, please. <laughs> you and me as white Americans. Yeah, go ahead. We came from a heritage of orphanage. We were orphaned here, right? And what I mean by that is that this isn't our land either. Right. You know, so, you know, the black American experience, they were kidnapped here. We were orphaned here. The difference being is that the orphans are trying to fight like it was ours and we should have it. Right. And that's right. the lore yeah. that we pass. Yeah. So therefore, we don't want to share it with the kidnapped. We don't want to share it with the indigenous because we we're panicked orphans. Right. So I, I never thought that Martin Luther King fixed it, but like growing up, but that's only because I think that my queer experience was fighting me on that. This is where I had the one can little I, edge. Mom, as a white and dad, mom and dad, can I come back in the room? Come yeah, back? come in, Gloria. Oh, Get in I, here. I just want to. I, I wasn't pushing you out the room. I, I want to come back. Carry going, then I'm coming back in. I got to okay, come no, back no, in. You, I want you in on this, but I just want to yeah. elaborate on the Martin Luther King thing. I think it's like, you know, I remember seeing film strips or whatever of like, you know, colored water fountain and, you know, right, other water, right. white water fountain or whatever, right? Like, that's what I mean that it's like, like, and we were showed that because like, this is how it used to be. It was so terrible. Right. Because it's done in the law, it's fixed everywhere. And we think yeah, that like somehow law. it's not that way yeah, anymore. That's, that's what I mean. That works, I think right. that it was like, we were showed things from the fifties as if yeah. like, it was so terrible, but it, it's great now. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what I'm I mean. saying, what I'm saying is the lore, if you're from Wayland or any other white suburb in America, even if you're a Mecco student and you went to those schools, you might for a second believe that Martin Luther King did fix everything. But if yeah. we go back in our history as a black woman, yeah. remembering in the 60s that the, uh, yeah. not only was Martin Luther King killed, right? The Kennedys were killed. Right. Malcolm X right. was killed. So not only did he say boys and girls can live together and we can live together as one, as he was speaking that, he was getting killed. As he was speaking that, so did more and more people get killed who fought right. for civil right. rights. So if you're coming from the perspective of a black or brown person, there's no way I ever, ever believe that, even though I had hoped it. I share right. her sentiment yeah. and that hoping. But when you say that, even if it's as a child, and I say this, yeah. he, 68, 69, 2001, 2010, 2021, any yeah. year, I will never say that I believe that Martin Luther King fixed everything as a black woman. I can say to you that I had hoped that, like you said, in those pictures from the 50s, we thought it was okay. But if you're still living in the 60s, as my parents did, as we're women trying to vote, pe black people still don't have the right to vote in the legislations all over this country. So we can't, when you say that, I just want to clarify and say, look, we need to talk about who's saying that and from right. optics of what lens are yeah. you looking at to believe that that was even a possibility. Right. And it comes well, back it's, it's to kind what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Right, it, and it's that's the thing. Like, for example, it's and it's coded into every white person's movement. Like, one of the most uncomfortable reckonings that we have to face is, you know, we've had three major women's movements. Some argue we're in the midst of a fourth. Great, all for it. The, um, But what's interesting is the one right around the, the 1920s that led to suffrage, which was vitally important, of course, 
was also piggybacked on a lot of um, racism sentiment against black people to save the purity of our white women. And that was some of what motivated the, yeah, we do need to get the white women voting as dark as that sounds. And as more history, people say, well, why haven't I heard about things like Tulsa and all these riots and, yes, and how happening now. I think it was 1916, there were like 60 race riots and people and like, well, those riots were often, they would staple on the women's movement on top of it. And that, that but the white women would be like, well, great, we're getting power. And it's to your point, Carrie, of how, if you're, if the, your lore is being told, you'll get right on the train. You mm-hmm. won't think, well, what's the engine of this train? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that happens in places like Whalen and in towns, small towns all over America, where people are saying the ticket you get on the train is this story about it's women's rights, it's gay rights, it's some sort of political ideal that we're going to make a cartoon about. But the engine is sometimes a little more dubious than what you think. Mm-hmm. But because it's convenient, we'll just take the lore and we'll get on our train. And but that's one of our problems. It's Right. Yeah. But if you're pushing that train, if you're behind it, if you're help building then, it, right? That's my you point. You're living Precisely. in the moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. You can't, you can't yeah. relate to that. You have to look at your ticket. Both sides of your ticket. Read that contract and find <laughs> right. out what they're selling you. Both sides. Find out the origination. Where is it Don't just from? jump. On, right. Exactly. Don't just jump on the train. <laughs> but this is where it's funny because this is where it's like as I was like sneaking off to the Framingham Library to research <laughs> gay history when I was sophomore year because I was like you know beside myself. Um, Wait, you know, sophomore and, and, year, you 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 felt like you knew you were. Oh, gay I knew it, junior. I. I knew. How old high. were you? G- How you old didn't old have you? those words because we didn't Look, talk about senior it. Senior year, senior year of high school, GPSAC. I had a crush on every third boy on that committee. I'll tell you this much. No, but I knew. <laughs> but it wasn't like it wasn't like being in high school now. I mean, we didn't even. No, I don't really think I that's knew my point. What right, gay was. But that's what. But that's where for me, because you guys asked where did I first sort of mecca program and the intersections with racism. In junior high, look, I had sustained, and I, we didn't need to get into this on the air, but I had sustained certain abuse that was also like, that's personal stuff. But that made me sort of precocious as you do as you're healing, you become aware of things. And so I was always sneaking off to learn about w- this queer, gay, whatever you want. I didn't know what to call it. Right. And in that process, I would run across, you know, things that like, I would see images that depicted mixed, like black and white. And I come from a town that's all like pretty much all white, except for the Mecca students. So I would keep seeing this as like, so wait a minute, there's another world out here. How come? And it started questioning as a young queer boy, why is my town a bubble? Like I was questioning from the inside, like, wait, this is all like some weird production, some show I'm in, but what's the real world like? (laughs) So I think that's what started pushing my agenda to be that little bit more sensitive to when I saw that graffiti, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like I used to say all the time, but who came before? I mean, um, Dr. King, I remember this. And like, I remember getting like a teacher all upset one time, like, well, who came before? Cause history is a line, right? So who's before that? Okay. You can give me right. Dubois, but then who's before that? Like I was, we weren't, there's like a weird, like it was just, it was just like European history, then those bad Dutch did slavery, American history. There's nothing in between. And I'm like, right. you're telling me about million, like hundreds of millions of indigenous and then millions of black people and just saying they existed, but there's no history. Right. Like as a storyteller, as someone it who loves stories, the shortest, yeah, I didn't get yep. so that. So there was something in me and I, there, that's my queerness. It was like the queerness that was making me question because yeah. like I wasn't fitting in. So therefore you start 
putting it external and saying, why do I fit in? What is going on out here? So my you know question I mean? to you is, Christian, at what age? And I know you're saying middle school. So you you saw that yeah. um, in the school bathroom, you stood up. But how old do you, if you can remember, do you feel like you started to realize that you were different? Well, it's funny because I I thought I was different because of different abuses I survived as a kid. And, and I'm, I'm, again, not for the air, but just know I'm a survivor. And I think, you know, that little wink and nod will get people, you know, um, you know, and I am a recovered addict. I'm open about that. Like, that's something that I'm very proud of. And so it's one of these things where I was already trying to understand what I was all about. So I always joke that liking boys was the least of my stresses. Mm. So I was weirdly saved. One pain saved another. What's interesting is later on, um, it's a very weak parallel to some of my you know, friends of color, whether they're black friends or Indian friends who describe, yeah, sometimes dealing with being black in an all white environment was way more panicky than happening to like the same gender. So it's weird how you can almost become queer when you have something else to worry about more. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's a weird safety net that it sounds bad that my pain was a safety net. Sounds weird, but blessings and everything, right? The, um, so I started knowing probably like junior high, like six, seven, what, like puberty, I was alert to being attracted to other boys. You know, Ricky Schroeder was my first crush. Hey, Silver Spoons. Mine too. Sunday. I love it. On it. That's why I invited you to prom, Carrie. You have the Schroeder overlap right there. Boom. Saturday night, 8.30. I'm there. I'm there. Anyway, nothing but you didn't me. have like, like role models or you didn't have like. Right. Models. And so what it, so what it was, was that it really was um, like, this sounds crazy. Thank God for books. I literally, I was doing here. You want to do something funny. Freshman year dropped off at the library to do a, <laughs> I'm researching the goddamn kangaroo rat of Saudi Arabia, of rodents. I'm doing a, a report on rodents, okay? And I'm in there, and I'm looking through books, and, and somehow I came across a section of the library that had, like, this many books about, like, gay theory. Like, this, like and I'm wow. holding up my hands. People, wow. I forgot it's a podcast. About, like, we'll say, like, 10 books. And I'm tearing through these books wow. and seeing an entire language I didn't understand, a world I didn't understand. It was multicultural. It was multi- I see people in protests and I'm saying, I live in Wayland. I've never seen a protest. What yeah. is a march? Like yeah. I had no idea what this was. Right. And so it was that little glimpse, that, that little bit of here's the word lore tucked away in a library right. that saved this one boy from suicide and further addiction. Mm. And this is, I'm going to spin this right in your favor, guys. This is why these conversations are important because no, I don't think this podcast is going to solve bupkis, but I do know that the lubricant might help people solve bupkis. It's this idea is that the availability of the conversation, yep. it has to be everywhere. It has to be common. Common is soapstone. That conversation, the lore, all the lores, every story, queer, black, young, old, white, everything has to be out yep. and available and ready to go. Right. We can't we can't force feed it on anyone, but it has to be available. Like you have to be able to stumble upon it when you're researching the kangaroo rat of Saudi Arabia in a <laughs> suburban library. You know, what I mean? it's got those oh, books got to be yeah. there. You know, it, and, I mean, and it's just like it breaks my heart to hear these stories because obviously, like I knew 
you as being this like happy go lucky, you know, we would have so much fun together. And I didn't know about abuse. I didn't know about addiction. And like, it just, the struggle, I'm sure. That that was the mask. That was the mask. And that's what I mean by a performer. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what I'm saying. And you, I know you get it. We come from a place. It's funny. This is going to be a dark admission. Um, But I would sometimes, sometimes you won't believe this. I used to wish that I was maybe didn't look white, that I looked anything else but white, because at least then it didn't have to be this chess game of hiding queerness, hiding abuse, hiding problems, because this was the downside of being born the white cis male. I'm not saying poor white male. I don't want anyone to ever, those words should never utter from anyone's lips. But my point being that there is this weird pressure of like having to be a thing that you guys have been talking about on this podcast all along, that I really wasn't. And so you learn to perform, you learn to right. fake it. You learn to have like two personalities as the Christian everyone knows. And then there's this whole private dialogue and it's that private dialogue. That's the guy who found you know, the little, you know, whatever 14 year old who found those books. Thank God. Right. Because the sad story is the year before I've been journaling, I've been writing in a journal forever. And the year before, I hated myself so much as a young gay person in a town like Wayland that, I mean, to be honest with you, at least the Medco kids had each other from this white boy's perspective. Right. I didn't know what it was really like, but from the external, I'm like, well, they, at least they have that. I had no one. Right. And I, I was, or I thought I had no one. I later, me and Liz, we chummed it up, but like (laughs) I wrote, I wrote these feelings down in my journal, the beginning of freshman year, I took a black marker to all of them and I still have the pages as a reminder to myself, but I would kill to know what I was thinking. I would kill to know, but I didn't think mm. that lore belonged. Those stories don't belong is what I thought. And wait, those did stories, you pass it off because you didn't want someone to find it? Yeah, didn't want someone yeah. to find it. I didn't want it to be true in a way. Yeah, And that's that's why I think like that, that was almost me hurting myself. And I think that's, these experiences sort of conspired to me being really aware of like what stories aren't being told. No. Right. But, but I think yeah. that, that was the start of you being like an ally and an advocate. Yes. And, and an advocate. I mean, I'll, as- I'll be honest with you. Look, Gloria can tell me if I'm an ally, I am an advocate. <laughs> I will always advocate, but I can't claim allyship. That's something for someone to tell me you're an ally or not. But listen, of, we were too I'm, young. We were too young to communicate. But baby, you were my ally. We yeah. didn't I love you. I love we you. Didn't, we didn't know how to say it, but we always right. can- whether it was well, the 80s, right? you know, Generation we, X, we had like almost no words for anything. We just said, yes. Shit. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was crazy. I hung out with everybody. Right. And this is how yeah. I've always been. Yeah. It's like, you know what? If you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. You know, and if I like you, I'm going to respect whatever it is that you're into. Right. And what I want to say is yeah. I want to ask you, do you think it's easier now as a young child, a teenager to come out as opposed to us being in the, growing up in the 70s and the 80s? Do you think well, it's thank easy? you for calling me a young teenager. No, um, the, uh, <laughs> so, so, no, I think this is from what I know, both from having nieces and nephews to go through systems, as well as I keep an ear to it because I used to be involved with it. I think that we as, a, as adults confuse resources with loving community. I think that the resources today are astounding and I'm so grateful for them. And yes, to a young queer kid, there's so many resources that section of the library has now grown into like yes. a whole shelf system. And, and the, you know, the, the teachers can talk about it in ways that are at least they can talk about it, et cetera, et cetera. Young people, uh, they see on social media, it's a conversation, et cetera. But 
There's something about a loving community. There's something about a circle. And the one thing we had was a circle. So that crazy building I described earlier, it, it helped us create a circle. Right. And that saved me much more than any resource. It is a resource, but it's a, it's a more organic one. And it comes out of sharing lore, sharing experiences, being patient and listening to the other, um, not blacking out the parts that we don't want, right. not upholding the, the, the lore that came before and just hopping on the lore train that we got the, the, this, the nicest seat on. And so that's, yeah, I think that it is probably quote unquote easier in terms of resources. So yes, perhaps a young queer child will hear that there's more beyond their small world. But I think that there's, at the end of the day, you, if you get asked me, Christian, I'll give you this library, or I'll give you a hug. Y'all know which one I'm going to pick. Yeah, I don't want to no. be, a, I would pick the hug. I think that's what we have to think of our young people, whether they're struggling with racial issues, struggling with queer issues, struggling with, hey, just being the poor kid in a rich town or whatever weird thing America throws at a young person, right. you know, be, being especially abled, like being able, having to use a wheelchair in a city like Boston. Are you kidding me? This place yeah. is a mess. But like, <laughs> these are all pressures. And it's that idea of like the community we create around the individual is more important than the resources that we've checked the boxes off and now go back to our convenient life. Gloria, you don't understand the hero you are to me. Carrie as well. Carrie Clifford, I'm going to say it right now. It has been 40 years coming. 30, 20, let's be young, 10 years coming. (laughs) And you you were the first person in high school who made me laugh that I didn't ask to make me laugh. That makes like, I'm not a buddy. You could make me laugh across a room. That's why I picked you for prom. I mean- I'm terrified of any other one. I couldn't ask a guy, so I'm going to ask. But Carrie makes me laugh. Carrie, yes. you've been a hero my life. Gloria, you've been a hero mm. since high school because I didn't know about the police thing. When I heard that story, all I kept hearing was like, yep, that, that makes that checks out with the kind of shy but clearly thinking woman that you were. Mm-hmm. I was like, who is she? I was intimidated as hell to be on that committee with you. I'm like, she's no. way smarter than me. She no, knows more I than me. I loved you. And I used to be like, what up, Christian? I was so loud with you. And yeah. I, I opened my arms to you. And I know that you did that for me. And that makes me, I mean, to hear you say that, it's like, we go back, Carrie, like she knows all of three of us, 30, 40 years. And yeah. when she said, right? Gloria, guess who I'm going to reach out to? I was so excited. So I was like, we haven't talked to forever. And just to talk on this level as adult and to reflect, yeah. I do, she knows, I get emotional because yeah. these are not yeah. easy conversations. You've been listening to Heart Candy and Fruit Snacks with my mom, Gloria, and my mom, Carrie. This episode was produced by Carrie Clifford, Gloria Harrison, Katie Levine, and an ACL joint production. Tune in next time to hear more from our moms. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.